Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Well, I feel like we're very quiet. It's kind of gloomy outside and, and it's very warm here compared to Pretoria, I'm not going to lie. Pretoria was freezing. The bluebills were depressed. I mean, it was a terrible place to be. They just, they were just very sad. No one wore a bluebills jersey the whole week. I was quite happy about that. Um, but, but really, an amazing time and partnerships. I had the incredible privilege of staying with a friend of ours who, two years ago, really life was was in chaos, and divorce was on the cards. I, I remember one night I was preparing for a preach, and I just felt just phone him, and he wouldn't mind me telling us. And I phoned him. I said, why am I phoning you? He says, I don't know. I said, no, no, why am I phoning you? He said, no, I want to get divorced. And two years later, I stayed in their house for four days, and the grace of God is in their house. There's joy in their house. There's life in their house. There's freedom in their house. His wife looks amazing, and, and, and I'm just so grateful to God that even if I went all the way up to Pretoria, and we had the privilege, the guys who rep, we had three full cars, about 15 guys up there. Gabe led worship. Tyler brought contributions. I had the privilege of leading some worship. They represented us well, but beyond that, if I went just to see that, to get courage from what God can do from the worst scenarios, I'll, I'll go up again. And I would encourage you, travel, take risks um, in God. So we're on a journey. One more thing, just about the week ahead. This is not just another week ahead. It's municipal elections week. And it's all happening in our country. If you're reading the news, everyone's got something to say about everyone. Everyone's drawing pictures about everyone. Um, they've all drawn a painting of each other, it seems like. And um, our job, I don't think, is to get pulled into all of that. And I want to really take time to say thank you for fasting and praying as a community this last week. It wasn't easy driving in a car for 17 hours and not eating. Not going to lie. One of the hardest trips I've ever done. Because pretty much the way we get through, through driving in a car is eating. But we were fasting and praying with you and trusting God to do amazing things in this nation. But our, we have a big responsibility this week. And it's more than just our tick or cross somewhere on a piece of paper. I think we need to be praying for the purposes and the plans that God has for this nation. We need to be declaring things into this nation. We need to be lifting up our leadership at this time. You know that's our responsibility? We quickly drop back into a posture of criticism and critique, but actually our mandate is to get on the front foot and to pray, to pray, and to call God's kingdom into this place, to keep asking God to reveal, to release the right people into the right places and spaces. You know what? It doesn't matter who gets voted in, Jesus is still on his throne, he's still in control. And our job is to keep accessing that authority, the highest authority. So I would ask that you take time to do the due diligence, like read manifestos. Read manifestos of, of parties so you are aware. And, and if you're unaware and you don't know how to do that, ask someone to talk you through some of that stuff. And then as citizens of this nation, I would encourage you to vote. I'm not going to encourage you who to vote for. That's not my job. That's your responsibility as a voter. But I would ask first, before you vote, that you pray and you intercede for this nation and take time this week to do that. In life group, as friends, as married couples, with your kids, educate them about how nations are run. And let's declare prayer. Is that all right? Is that good? So last week, and we continue this amazing series of God is, it was incredible to go up to, um, to Pretoria and hear a few people who've been listening in different parts because they've been intrigued by this very simple series, apparently, but God is calling us to something. 
He's pulling us into his story. And last week was a big one for me. God is holy. God is holy. And, and I want to tell you this morning, just because I think some people have spoken to people this week, they've been wrestling this concept of holiness. I want to just remind you that you were designed for holiness. You weren't designed for sinfulness and brokenness. You were designed for wholeness and holiness. You were designed to be like that one Peter, one scripture speaks about, pulled into the life that is in Christ. And he asked two things of us. Will you roll up your sleeves? Will you be prepared to get your hands dirty? Make some big decisions. The conference we were at this week was called The Call. I got to listen to one man. His name is Nico van der Merwe. He's a huge businessman. He owns companies like Phonak and a couple of others. And Rory said, will you come and speak to us, Nico? Will you come encourage a men and women about the call of God? And like most other businessmen, he's had very high days and he's had very, very low days. And he had an opportunity to speak for almost an hour to a thousand people about the call of God. you know what he spoke about? He spoke about his devotional life that baptizes him daily in the character and the nature of the living God. That's all he spoke about. His end charge to us was find yourself in the Word, find yourself in the presence of God. He spoke about moments when, when he, he had a dream to put businesses in place where hearing could be, Phonak is the biggest supplier of, of hearing aids and a whole bunch of things, and, and he, needed then, he wanted to build schools where, where kids with hearing disabilities could be pulled into normal schooling systems, but it was different, and, and, and money was promised, 25 million rand promised, it's coming, it's coming. It never came, it never came. Schools needed to be built. And now he said, God, you said this is your vision, this isn't mine. And I'm going to throw myself on your goodness. I'm going to throw myself on your ability to do this because I can't do this. And he's not some amazing, wild, charismatic man. Actually, he's a lovely, soft-spoken man from Enke Kaki, and he got to listen to me lead worship, and he was a little freaked out. He even said it. But he said, the life of God is here. He says, I love the life of God. And he celebrated. He said, come on. Rory said, challenge. He said, if, if these young people are your son, he's just handed one of his businesses over to his son. He said, how would you challenge him? He said, find yourself in the word. Find God. And so this series is about immense, immersing ourselves again in the character and the nature of God. And I want to speak today about something that is really deep inside of me as I've had the privilege of, of being taught by Rory Dyer for many years, and throwing myself into the Word, I see it everywhere in Scripture. It's this truth that God is generous. See, Gabe spoke about God as provider, and yes, many people need to understand we need to throw our faith into the provider nature of God. But I think there is a follow-on revelation, a follow-on truth that we have to grasp, that our God is unbelievably generous. Unbelievably generous. And this is what it said, Matthew 7, and I want to pin it in this scripture. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, well, my kids have been watching Bear Grylls, so they would probably say, I'd like the snake. Because they know what to do with it now. If you then, though you are evil, who? Us. Earthly fathers. I'm selfish outside of his presence. I'm selfish outside of his hand in my life. I, I care for myself outside of the grace that he pours out when I forget who I am in him. 
when I pull myself out of the Ephesians 2 truth that I abide inside of Him. I'm evil. But when I'm clothed in His righteousness, when I'm washed by His grace, He pulls me into this story and He says, though you are evil, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would hate, have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. When I look at the Father, I look at grace, we sing songs about His love. And I think sometimes we, we ask the wrong questions. Like, what's enough? What, what's enough? What, what's the base? And we forget the Bible truth that the Father speaks of a Father in heaven. How much more? Who doesn't like a generous man or woman? I mean, who doesn't? You know that guy, you go, you go to lunch, he just, he just won't let you pay. He, I, I've had Rory tear up a credit card of mine because I tried to pay for lunch before. I mean, part of me wanted to smack him, the other part was very grateful. But, 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 uh, but, but it just, uh, who doesn't like a generous man or woman? We went on holiday this July, and we we're processing where we're going to go. We just we're going to go to Derbs because that's where family is. And our friend phoned me up in March. Says, "Hey, uh, you come to a holiday in Durban in July, don't you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I've just bought a place down the coast. I'd love you to go there for a week." Who doesn't like that guy? <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, yes, okay. But it's not just about money or finances because I think sometimes you hear generous. Now the church talking about money again. I'm talking about much more than money. I think the enemy does, I'm mean, not the enemy, I think the, that God in His Word does take us to the area of finances, and it's a little bit like, there's that little, I've got a terrible saying, it's called poke the pig. Because when you poke the pig, the bad stuff comes out. When you, sometimes money in, in the hearts of man is the pig. You've just got to poke it a little bit, because you realize what's in the heart. But generosity has to do with, with so much more than just finances. So much more. And heroes, in, the heroes of, of Hebrews 11... They all had these moments of major trial and major challenges, and their response in all of them was they threw themselves in the character and the nature of God, the how much more of the King of Kings, and they responded to that situation in that nature and that character. And I've spoken this, something of this message at a few weddings, and, and, but I want to share it again. And the biggest wedding that has ever been aired was, what's his name? Prince William and Princess Kate. And everyone was obsessed with Kate's sister. You remember the day? You were one of the two billion people watching. Two billion people are watching. And the Bishop of London has got six minutes. Because the whole world's watching. It's a whole bunch of teasy TV things around the world. And they, you have six minutes, sir. You can say what you want in six minutes. But you got six minutes. He could have punted the church. And the structures of the church. He could have punted, um, um, get back to church. He could have punted about marriage and all that. He took all six minutes and he spoke about what? That our God is generous. It's amazing. It's incredible. Because the generosity of, of God is at the heart of biblical understanding of God's nature. It's got to be so deep inside of us that we understand in the midst of storms, I still understand how much more. It's the same father that like, like Mr. Van der Merwe in a business situation, the money's not coming, he goes, but the Bible says, how much more? 
That is to walk with the character. That's allow the word to fashion and shape. That's putting our minds into gear in every truth and in every way. And I want to take us to a wedding in John 2. And Jesus was into weddings. It's his first miracle. It's right at the start of his ministry. And um, he, he spoils, he, he definitely would have won America's Got Talent with this trick. Fill six jars, boom, turn them into wine. It's like that would have won any day. And, um, but John 2, the scenario is they're at a wedding and the wine's run out. His mom comes to him like we'll read now. And she says, come on, my boy, do what he says. Let's read the scripture from John 2. And I want to make a statement up front. God doesn't do miracles to impress. He's not out to impress. He doesn't need to impress us. He does miracles, one, because he's a miracle-working God. But two, because in the miracle and in the moment of that miracle, he is revealing something of his character and nature. Remember, three days before, the context. In John 1, all he's done in John 1, he's arrived, John the Baptist pronounced his story, and then he's pulled his disciples close. So he's walking with his disciples, and the journey starts. See, Jesus was the most intentional man ever to walk this earth. And guys are writing books about intentionality and how to spend your time. Jesus had three years, just over a thousand days, to do the greatest thing that would change the world ever. I don't think he wasted any time. And he wasn't going to waste time at this wedding. So let's read from John chapter 2. Verse 1. Are you guys all right? Very quiet. Go. Ah. <laughs> okay. That was terrible. I'm just telling. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and the disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, Is that any, business, any of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went, ahead of, she went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stoneware water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill the, your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said, and they did. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, Everybody I know begins with the finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, brings in the cheap stuff, the tussies. But you saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, along with his mother, brothers, and disciples, and stayed for several days. Now, you've all read the scripture, I hope, and if you haven't, please read it. I love the book of John. John was Jesus' best friend on this earth. He was part of the, the type three. He was the one Jesus left his mother and said, will you look after my mother? This guy knows God. He, he had his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his heart close to Jesus. And we encounter this story. It's amazing that it says three days later, what had happened three days before? Well, he chosen these disciples, he just started walking with them, and they didn't believe in him. It's like, come follow me, but the Bible says they believed him after this. They were following him, and they were watching. They, they were checking it out. It's quite a thing when you've got guys, they're just checking you out. They're not quite sure. And, um, and, and it's amazing, Jesus chooses this team, he's done nothing, and he's just chilling at the wedding. 
So Jesus is still, he's just a carpenter's son in most people's eyes at a wedding. But he was interested in making disciples. He wanted disciples of faith. He's still calling us, you and I, to make disciples of faith. And these moments, and these moments happen, and it says they were guests at a wedding. Here's, I think, the first challenge. When, even when we look at the area of generosity, we think we're just guests in the gospel story often. We're just, we're just passengers in the story. And we, so we can't, no, 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 not me now. I'm a guest. I'm just a guest. I'm just here to, to, to drink, eat their food, drink their wine, have a dance on the dance floor, go home. And so we realize, we start seeing there's something of an activation that's got to take place when we start understanding the character and the nature of God. I, I go to many weddings. Most of the time, I'm either the wedding singer, the guy who does the wedding, or the MC, like 95% of the time. And when we were from the age of about 24 to 30, we literally went to weddings flat out in Durban. I mean, they were all in the Midlands, so you're always driving to the Midlands, but you're working. I was working. And then there was this one wedding. Haven't asked my wife if I can tell this story. I'm going to tell it anyway, so I'm going to look at you guys. And, and, but we're driving, and the wedding is um, up in Dundee or somewhere up there. It's a girl uh, very close to us. We've invested many years in her life. She'd been in our life group for many years, and uh, she'd moved away, then was getting married and phoned us, will you marry us? I mean, will you come to our wedding? We'd love to come to your wedding. And we're driving up, and I remember saying to Kans, I was preaching the next day at church, so I was focused on that. I said to Kans, it's so nice to be going to a wedding and doing nothing. Just sitting. <sighs> at the back somewhere, right at the back. I like that. I want to go hide at the back there. I can see you, Ryan, at the back there. Keep your eyes open, but I can see you. So we're sitting there, and, and we sing songs, and it's, hey, the guy's preaching. Awesome. We're going to sit down. We sit down, and, and the guy hosting the meeting says, you know what? The cup, I'm not going to be preaching today. Huh? So the bride has asked two couples who have been integral in their life if they would lead us and, and share something over them this morning. And my wife grabs my leg, and I just hear this one word, I'm sorry. Sorry about what? <laughs> Two and a half months before the wedding. Two and a half months. They had phoned and asked if we would speak at the wedding. He wasn't preaching. So, yeah, Ken's just, I've got the mic. Just stay close. And, and, uh, and, and uh, so now, this other couple stands up, and we find ourselves standing up, and I've got nothing. They've got Bibles and notes and everything. I'm like, What? So I grab a Lutheran Bible as I'm walking to the front. And um, we get to the top, and the other guy says to me, do you want to go first? I'm like, no, no, honestly, I think you should go first. His opening line was this. We have been praying and fasting for three days. <laughs> and God has given us three words for you. I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. They got my preach from Ephesians from the next day. For that moment. But I want to tell you, sometimes we just like sitting back. God's called us to a story, He's called us into things, but we like sitting back. We like just being the guests, not doing anything. I'm just incognito. Someone else is there, and I'm here to cheer them on. I think the story and the generosity, character, and nature of God calls us to people who aren't just guests. We play a part everywhere we go, always with eyes open to see. 
Does that make sense? And um, it carries on and says, then there's his mom, and it says, Mother, they're, they're just about out of wine. Trust, trust mom to get involved, always. Um, but I want to say, sometimes God will use unexpected ways of highlighting things to us. Even Jesus in his manness, in his humanness, maybe he needed his mom, and God uses Mary at that time to say, come on, boy. Come on, boy. Sometimes God's going to use unexpected voices in your life and my life to say, come on now. Come on. Oh, but it's not time. It's not time. See, you, you, you see me sometimes stand up here and lead worship, and I love it. And up in the call, I lead worship in front of 1,000 people. I love it. And I've had the privilege of leading in front of 5,000 people, and I love it. But you know where it started? As a 12-year-old boy, I was at my sister's 21st down the south coast of Natal. And what happened is the power went out. Woof. And I just heard this voice from over there. Mark, get your guitar. What? I'm 12. My voice is higher than Christina Aguilera's. <laughs> the only song I know is Blue Suede Shoes. It's the only... One for the money! And the lights are out. There's a whole bunch of people there for a 21st. They don't want to listen to a 12-year-old sing One for the Money. But out comes my guitar, because mom called. One for the money, two for the show, three to get... That was the start. And sometimes it's going to be mumsy, and sometimes it's going to be a friend, and sometimes it's going to be someone on the street. But sometimes God's going to use people who you don't expect to call us into stories that reveal Him. And this story reveals Him. I haven't even got to the good stuff yet. I've got to stop telling these stories. But the reality is we tend towards apathy. We tend towards selfishness. We tend towards self-preservation. Or oh, what if I'm tired? And we, what if it fails? We tend towards saving face. We tend towards a reluctance to take responsibility. It's someone else's wedding. What, what about the, the bride's father must sort out the wine? That person, that hungry person, that's not my problem. That person in need, and they, they just need 10 minutes of someone to love them. It's not my gig. I'm busy. And mom says, they're just about out of wine. She says, is that any of our business? He says, don't push me. How often have you and I said that to God? Stop pushing me, Holy Spirit. I know people have been saying, don't push me. The last two decades, they're still sitting in the same place. Church is full of it. Don't push me. Now, will you just give a bit of time? Will you just open up your heart? Don't push me. I'm not a relational person. That's about the character and the nature of God. So she went away, and the story continues, and they bring the pot. He just, he's Jesus. So they bring the six pots. And you know how much it, 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 it says? It's the equivalent of 450 liters to 680 liters, somewhere in between there. I think we think of like nice little wine vats, you know, little ones on the table. 450 liters to 680 liters. That's where the commentators say that amount should land between. It's a lot. Jesus is the most intentional person. I don't think that number, that amount of wine was a joke or, 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 or just happened. I think he chose it. I think he knew. He said, bring me six. Not one. One would have been enough. Bring me six. 
And a precedent is established for all eternity, for all of us to look at the very first thing he did on this earth. A precedent is established, and I'm telling you, in that precedent is a heart of generosity that has to land on us and in us and through us as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Three points from this story. The first one is God really cares. And I'm throwing you into his character. I can tell you what generosity looks like, but without throwing you into his character, we'll never get it. You want to be like God? Let me tell you one thing from this story that I see is God really cares. Why? Because at a Hebrew wedding at this time, what would happen is the whole community were invited. I've been to some of these weddings in KZN, and the whole community is invited. A tent is put up, food is provided for, the family goes overboard to provide for a massive, massive community, and everyone is invited. And everything is on the house. And your job is to host them well. That's a good wedding. To host them well. That the food would be good. That the wine would be good. When we sat down for our first wedding list, it was 320 people. And then I reminded by this fact, you're paying for it. And it was amazing how you worked out. Who wouldn't come? And, uh, and, And it's different. When you're paying for something, when there's a cost, when there's a fact, let me tell you, God really cares. He stops them running out of wine at a Hebrew wedding. He saves the greatest of embarrassments. For a family, not just the couple, yes, the couple, but the family, for them to run out of wine in that wedding would have saved massive, massive embarrassment. The prodigal son in Luke 15 is not about a prodigal son. It's about a ridiculously generous father who didn't get stuck in the details of counting every cost. Yes, the son asked for its inheritance early, early, and basically what he's saying to dad is, I don't care if you are dead, I just want what I'm entitled to. And he takes his inheritance, and he runs, and he squanders, and he squanders. And then he comes back, and what is the father's response? He runs to him, he takes his cloak off, he puts it around him, he puts his ring on his finger, and there are so many truths to read into this amazing scripture, but I think we read it sometimes with the wrong lens. Look at the father. He is ridiculously generous. I want to tell you about the Father who is ridiculously generous with the grace that He pours out over me. Who is ridiculously generous in His provision over me. Who is ridiculously generous in His patience with me. Who is ridiculously generous when I get uptight. When I get angry. He's got patience for me. Generosity doesn't land in finances. Generosity lands in the heart of God. And the fact that he is ridiculously generous. It won't make sense. Lean not on your own understanding. Stop leaning on your understanding. Well, God's got the faith thing. I'm going to work out the numbers. And at our wedding, Stan preached. And he, he preached the gospel. He preached life. And, and, and my father-in-law got up at the time, an atheist, and said, actually, Stan, thanks for that. I'm going to tell you about the real facts of life now. And I'm telling you that two-split dichotomous thought lives in Christians. God's got that stuff. And when I'm sick, and when I need a friend, and when I'm feeling lonely, and when I need to make a big decision in God, I'll go to God. But on the day today, I'm going to lean on my own understanding. And we wonder why it doesn't end up in the promised straight paths that He promises us. It's not about leaning on our own understanding. The picture of the prodigal son is generous in forgiveness. Sir or ma'am, are you generous in forgiveness? I'm not asking doing what you have to. I'm asking, are you generous in forgiveness? 
Are you generous in grace and patience and not being self-righteous and not trying to save face and your resources? Hosting a meal, the father throws a meal for him. See, the return of the son, what they could have done? The workers on the farm have legal right to go and beat the son in that time. It doesn't make sense to us now, but in that time, the workers could have run out. And if they got to him first, they could have got to him and they could have beaten him and embarrassed him. And the father knows that, so he runs and he puts his cloak around and the workers know that's not going to happen. Can we just close our eyes for a second, if that's all right? My first point of this wedding is that God really cares. It's the promise to this couple, to the story that God's got you covered. And he's not just got the basics covered. He's got you covered. Six jars. Maybe you've been embarrassed, sir or ma'am. Maybe resources have run out. Your energy, your abilities, your... Will you allow yourself to be pulled into the love of the ridiculously generous Father? who's got us covered, who saves us from embarrassment. Right now. Maybe your divorce was an embarrassment. Maybe the debt you've got in the bank is an embarrassment. Maybe your relationships with your friends or kids are an embarrassment. If people actually knew, if the people sitting next to you in church today, if they actually knew what I was like Monday to Friday sometimes, it's an embarrassment. I ask, will you throw yourself in the character and the nature of the King of Kings and the ridiculously generous Father today? Thank you, Lord. My second point is this, is God is into the details says the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Maybe you've been to one of those parties. Started out those nice bottles, by the end it's the plastic ones. It's not Jesus. No, no, it's not just the volume of wine. It says it's the best one. And more of God is revealed in this amazing story. There was a, a shipment of, of, Rav, uh, Rome, of Russian imperial family stuff in 1916 that was discovered by a ship diver in 1997. And in that shipment were these bottles of wine, and each bottle of wine was sold for 270,000 US dollars. One bottle of wine. $275,000. Jesus doesn't just make 450 to 680 liters of it. He makes the best of the best. You work out 450 liters times that amount per glass. And you start to see that in the intentionality of the King of Kings, it's not just about the volume, it's about his overwhelming goodness, that he's into the details. And at the end of the story, at the end of the wedding, he brings out the best of the best, and it's overwhelming. And imagine the bridegroom's there, and and he was on the brink of embarrassment. He was on the brink of being on one of those TV shows, like Worst Wedding of the Decade. I don't know if they had it then, but they would have it now. It's it's kind of that embarrassment would have been thrust onto them. And all of a sudden, the guy comes here, it's like, oh, this is the best wine we've ever, 
ever tasted. God is into the details. How much more? 450, 680 liters. How much more? The best wine. There can't be more. I want to tell you, point number three, that God is into head starts. And I preached this at Andrew's wedding, Andrew and Mark's wedding. See, in those days, weddings were, were the gift. The wedding, the provision for the wedding, the wine for the wedding, the food, that was the gift to the couple. And people would give towards that celebration. And then what they would do after that is, is that there would be one or two celebrations in the days to follow. And then what was left over would be sold and the community would buy the leftover wine, the leftover food. And that money would be the head start for a family. That would be their head start. They didn't get bought houses. They didn't get cars. They didn't get money in the bank. They got the leftover of that moment. Jesus knows this. This is his culture. He's grown up for 30 years in this culture. He's seen it. And the wine runs out. And yes, there's embarrassment. And yes, there's now potential of bad wine. But actually, he knows that there won't be a head start for this couple. And I get to weddings and I say, the greatest head start you'll have. And I stand in front of men from Springbok rugby players to lawyers. And I say, the greatest head start you have, sir, is not the fact that you won a World Cup in 1990, whatever. It's not the fact that you got a degree in whenever. It's not the fact that your dad has a trust fund the size of whatever. None of that is the greatest head start. The greatest head start you have is that you are immersed in the love of the King of Kings. How much more? There is no better head start. There is no more generous, ridiculously generous father that could ever be revealed. And it's the end of the party and they drink. They could never get through 600 liters of the finest wine. completely for them. And Jesus, in his first moment of revealing the Father, in his first moment of revealing the goodness of the gospel, says, I'm going to overwhelm you with volume. I'm going to overwhelm you with the fact that I'm in the detail. I'm going to overwhelm you with the fact that I'm going to set you up. Maybe you hear and you say, I've got nothing in the bank. No one's ever given me anything. I've been there. I felt that. I felt sorry for myself in that place. But the love of the ridiculously generous Father changes everything. And some of you heard the story. I'm going to tell you again. I was 21 years old. All I had was 45,000 rand student loan. I played rugby overseas, and everything inside of me just said, run, run overseas, get over here. All my mates were leaving overseas. And a friend of mine paid for me to go on a camp, generosity. He said, you're coming. I said, I want to go. No, you're coming. He paid. On that camp, I encountered the king of kings in a moment of worship. No one knew. And God said, you will stay here and I will provide for you. But God, I, I don't know if I've got the faith. Now I'll provide for you. Two weeks later, a man phoned me off the bank and phone said, you, we, we won't pay for another year of studies. Your parents have been liquidated. There's no surety. And I was too embarrassed to tell my friends. None of my friends knew that my parents had been liquidated. I was too embarrassed because I'd grown up privileged. And all of a sudden, everything had been taken. And two weeks later, an unsaved Irishman phones me up, a hard businessman. He says, I don't know why, but I want to pay for your year of studies. So well, how do I pay you back? I can't pay you back. I'm going to do it for someone else one day. An unsaved man paid. Two months later, I met this girl. 
who'd got saved while I was away. And it wasn't long before I knew that she would be my wife. Everything inside me wanted to run, but the goodness and the gracious and the generosity when the world is falling apart and you're so radically insecure, the only hope you have, sir or ma'am, and the only hope I have is to throw myself into the ridiculously generous love of the Father. There is no other hope. There's nothing else. And when women are freaked out by Brexit and they're moving nations and they're selling companies and they're totally freaked out, why? Because at the root of who they are and the foundation of what settles them and secures them is money, is a bank account. In front of a thousand people, a very wealthy, well-known man gets up on Friday night in a moment of confession in front of his church and says, I confess that my emotions are determined by my bank balance and I repent of that. When we start confessing and repenting of those things, the kingdom of God starts breaking in. Light starts coming into dark places and heaven starts breaking in and God begins to break open in people's hearts around us. I want to tell you, Jesus and generosity are inseparable. Philip Yancey reminds us, says, the God who created matter took shape within us as an artist might become a spot on a painting or a playwright might become a character within his own play. The greatest demonstration of generosity was the incarnation of Jesus into a form and a shape like this. And he leaves the perfection of heaven. He sets aside the privileges of deity. He chooses to walk in the mess of humanity. Why? Because there is a ridiculously generous father who shouts over us. He says, how much more? says, for I so love the world that I give. I give. How much more I love the world, I give my only son. I've got three sons. I couldn't bear the idea of giving one of them away. And the father says, I give my only son. You think it didn't cost God something? It cost him everything. Isaiah 50 says, it was his will to crush him. Why? So that you could be pulled into the generous love of the awesome father. That defines you. God gave his very best in Jesus. And on this day, Jesus reveals the Father by not only producing mountains of wine, but the very best wine that would establish this couple for their future. Generosity is a core characteristic of God. Not superfluous, not an optional extra for mature Christians who've done Bible school in 20 years in the church and got the certificate. It's for every person that has received the touch of that unbelievably generous Father. And I want to make a few statements about the implications for us. Because that's what the series is about. I am not, well, I know that about God like Jonah, but I'm not going that way. Jonah said, well, I know God is gracious, slow to anger, but, but not me. But, but not me. Just a few points about our generosity. Giving to where you know generosity and what marks, God's gen what marks God's generosity is giving to where you know you can't receive back from. That's generosity. Generosity is not I meet with my best mates each week and we go to lunch and I pay for him because I know he'll pay for me the next time. That's not generosity. That's a deal. That's a bargain. That's a transaction. It's not a heart thing. 
the richest men in the world, have been unbelievably generous, if that is a classification of generosity. Roman Abramovich gave his girlfriend a bronze statue worth $14 million, a villa in Colorado, two paintings worth $120 million, and then they broke up. Oh, so generous. That's not generous. It was a transaction. I don't know the full motivation, but God is generous in His nature. Sometimes we just got to take a deep breath and think about who gave me that breath? We take so glibly. Who gave me that breath? And something like 28,000 breaths every 24 hours. Who gave me every one of those breaths? The ridiculously generous Father who didn't count the cost, he just gave. I want to tell you, generosity is not a feeling. You're not going to wake up one morning feeling generous. I know very few people who feel generous because it costs us something. Generosity is a response to him in worship. Worship, yes. Worship, yes. In my time, my talents, my energy, everything I have to people. I want to say generosity should cost us. Should cost us something. It cost the Father something to pull us out of darkness and into his story. It cost him. But will your generosity unleash the miraculous? See, my friend, paying for me to go on a camp, allowed me to enter into a moment with God where God gave me. He, he doesn't know. He does know now, but he didn't know then. Will your generosity in time? In, in compassion. You want to be generous? Be compassionate. Sometimes when I'm tired and sometimes when I'm at the center of my story, I, I, I struggle. It's, a, it's a compassion. Sometimes I just get tired. I, just, I don't know if I can be more compassionate, God. He says, no, but get in me, boy. You've got to get back in me. Generosity is a learned behavior. I want to tell you this, it requires faith. If there's no faith in your generosity, it won't lead to the miraculous. It'll just be a nice act. Someone will be happy for a moment. And we, we're, we're so terrible. It's like we, ah, oh, look at me loving the orphan. Poof, selfie. All over Facebook. Look at me painting this person's house. We dress for the moment. That's not generosity, friends. That's worldly currency that doesn't lead to life and won't open up the miraculous. From water to wine, and we sing the songs, water you turn into wine. I want that. I want that. I want to say that a lack of generosity generally equals a lack of faith in the fact that God will provide and that there is a stream that flows from heaven the promised stream of heaven over our lives. And when I damn that thing up, I'm going, God, I don't believe you're going to keep allowing this river to flow so we become like nervous farmers who dam up healthy rivers because we don't think the water's going to keep coming. And we dam those up, and what happens? The water gets sick. And every animal that drinks from that water gets sick, and you can't use the water. We are designed to be rivers that flow. In every area, friends, please don't think this is just money. Money just tends to be the one that exposes us the most. It's our time. It's our talent. Oh, I've, got, I've got space in my life for this many people, for three people in my life. That's it. 
That's what the disciples said when the 5,000 were hungry. Generosity ushers heaven on earth. The scripture before John 2 says this, you will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Boom, miracle, water to wine. I'm not talking about philanthropy, friends. Charity starts with a checkbook. Generosity starts with your heart. Many amazing philanthropists out there, but unless it is rooted in a spiritual journey with Jesus, it is just a humanitarian reality. And it won't see the miraculous. Our job is to bring heaven on earth. And I'm telling you, I don't think there's much like generosity that brings heaven on earth. One story, and then I'm going to hand over to Wally, one or two points out of it. And I've told the story before. But on my 25th birthday, we had a dinner somewhere. And I invited a man named Becky, who was in my home group and had been in my home for two years. I organized him a job with a friend of mine. And I think he earned, at the start of that job, 80 rand a day. And Becky was late for the dinner. And I phoned him, but he couldn't answer because his phone had been stolen. Becky arrived about 45 minutes late, an hour late for the dinner, carrying a cake. Now, I'd bought one of those cakes recently for someone else. That cake cost 100 rand. He spent more than a whole day's wage to bless me on my birthday. He didn't have money for a taxi, so he was late because he walked. He didn't have money to buy a new cell phone. And yet he poured his gracious, overwhelming, crazy generosity over me. And he arrived, and I'm broken. Because I know what that thing costs. And a man with little means pours out generosity over someone who at that stage, God had been very faithful. Not He's always faithful, but he had been very generous financially. And I'm going, God, I've got to learn this thing. It's got to get so deep inside of me that it changes my natural defense, which is this, which is save. Save your time, save your energy, save your emotions, save. Where is that in Jesus? Where did he ever save himself? He never saved himself. He gave himself away. And if we drill this down, if you just say, Mark's just going for a punt for money, I'm not, friends. The thing that will change this world is radical, crazy love. The thing that has changed this world is where we take investment in people's stories. The thing that will change this world is we pay a price that doesn't make sense to anyone. It starts at home. So many of these philanthropists, millions and millions, on their fourth wife. If you've been divorced, please, I'm not trying to take it, but I'm just telling you, it starts, if she is not the first recipient of my generosity, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I can meet with 15 people in a day and counsel them till I'm blue in the face, but if I get home and she is unloved, I am a failure. I'm a fraud. You should go to another church. Bible says, Hebrews 10, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good, we, good deeds. Talk about it. Spur one another on. It has to be in faith. It's not a feeling. In giving beyond our ability, Paul said, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Like playing a piano, it's a skill. 
and the belly sits in here behind his piano, and you see his fingers going like this because there's skill. He's practiced. He spent time. You want to excel in giving and generosity? Begin to upskill yourself in the character and the nature of God. Chariots of fire, Eric Little said, and I close with this, Wally, you can come up. He said, I, he said, I believe God made me for a purpose. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You want to feel the pleasure of the living God? Give away what doesn't make sense. Like getting in your car at 11 o'clock at night to go help someone, even though you've got a meeting early the next morning. Like getting up in the middle of the night to pray for someone who will never know you prayed for them. And watch heaven break in. You say...